0: Hello and welcome to Command Space, episode 44 on the mighty 5x5 network. My name is Mike Hurley, and today I am joined by Mr. Fraser Spears. Hi, Fraser.
1: Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm
0: very well, sir. Thanks for joining me today. Pleasure. So, Fraser, tell the world what you like to be known for.
1: Um, Well, I guess what I am known for is being, as far as I know, the first person in the world to deploy a whole-school one-to-one iPad project. So, in a previous life, I was an iOS developer and have also been teaching for a few years now. And three years ago, just after the iPad was released, the school that I work at, we decided to go one to one iPad throughout the whole school. And I decided, I distinctly remember the day that I did it, sitting in the top floor of the school saying, if I'm going to configure this, I should probably write this down somewhere. And I should probably put it on my blog just in case anybody ever else ever does this. And then it was picked up by newspapers and the rest is history, I guess.
0: So tell me a little bit about um, what your day-to-day includes now.
1: Well, um, parts of the week can vary and parts of the week are pretty fixed. I, I teach classes, so I I spend nearly two full days a week back-to-back teaching kids from... Secondary kids from uh, ages, I guess, about 10, 11, up to 18 at different levels, uh, teaching them computing as a subject. Uh, Other parts of the week, I will be spending time in my school working on systems administration stuff, or I will be out of school um, dealing with other schools or doing things with Apple or um, hosting visits to my school from other schools. So uh, part of the week's a bit mixed and part of the week's pretty fixed.
0: You mentioned doing things with Apple. So mm-hmm. is that because you've pioneered this education stuff? Um, do, do you do they sort of use your help for that or is it other things?
1: Um Apple have, they do various events, um, essentially marketing events, um, where what they'll do is they'll have what, what they call sort of customer um, presentations, if you like. Right. And, and what I, I do there is I go to some of these events and I sort of just tell the story of what we did at our school with Apple products, basically.
0: So how did you find yourself um to become like a, a a leader in this one-to-one program
1: completely by accident i mean there, were, there was no master plan to become a famous educational technology specialist i mean <laughs> i mean I, if, if i am even that which I, I suppose i have to admit I, I guess i am but honestly i mean let me go back and tell you how we came to be doing one-to-one ipad and then that will maybe uh, clear up a, a few things. Yeah. Um, the school, the school I work at um, is called Cedar School, uh, in its, in the town of Greenock where I live, and it, it's a really small school and it's a, a private school. And I have been working there since 2006 as a computing teacher and IT manager, I guess. And we had at the time I started, we put in a lab full of iMacs, and then a couple of years later, 2008, we did Wi-Fi throughout the school, and we put in. Uh, a dozen laptops, Macbooks, white Macbooks to go around the school. And by the end of 2009, basically the problem we came to was that all the teachers in the school wanted to use the computer in the classroom, but we didn't have enough computers, which is kind of the nicest possible situation to be in, because many schools face the opposite, where we've got all these computers and nobody either knows how to or or wants to use them in their class. So, around about Christmas 2009, we we had a meeting where we tried to thrash out amongst the staff, what we were gonna do to solve this problem of not enough computers for the amount of demand that there was in the school. And we looked at things like iPod Touch at the time because uh, obviously it was cheap, you know, 180 pounds or whatever it was at the time, uh, spread that cost over a couple of years. We could easily afford one per pupil in the school. So we got really interested in one-to-one by looking at iPod Touch, but teachers kinda came back to me and they said, look, it's too small to be our main computer And at that time, the software wasn't very good. You couldn't connect it to a projector. I mean, a lot of those things are different now because Pages and Keynote are on the iPod Touch, but that was the way it was back then. So we decided to kind of sleep on it over the holidays and um, never been quite so happy to have one of my projects stalled for a month because the (laughs) month after we had that meeting, the iPad was announced. uh, And that was kind of exactly what we were looking for, something between... The laptops that we'd been using, which were big and heavy and power problems and so on, and the iPod Touch, which had all the ease of use that we wanted in the battery life, but just wasn't big enough. Uh, And the fact that it was just a big iPod Touch, to quote some people who are wrong, um, was actually really good in our favour, because we looked at iPod Touch, and now here's something that's like the iPod Touch, but bigger. And what more could we want?
0: It was as if Apple were blessing you.
1: It was exactly like that, you know. The day after the iPad came out or was announced, um, I went into school, and, and between the door of the school and my room, like four people stopped me. And it's not a long distance. I said, "Have you seen the iPad?" You know, it's what we were talking about. You know, could, if only we could get an iPod Touch that was bigger. Uh, and look, they've done it. So uh, it was it was a fairly easy decision for us after that to to kind of go ahead and do it, um, having looked at the iPod Touch in as much detail as we had.
0: It would have been terrible if you would have. Made the purchase order for all of those iPod touches,
1: yeah, that would have been a killer
0: <laughs> so tell me a little bit about uh, the one to one program at Cedar school like how does it work on on a day to day basis
1: um well, it works a little differently in in primary education and secondary education because um the secondary kids and, and and the older primary kids get to take their device home with them, so the idea is that we the school leases a set of equipment, right? The same way that company would lease computers or whatever. Um, so we have 115 that we have leased for three years and we're coming up to the end of our lease right now. Um, and we assign them, I configure them, um, and I install the apps on them and set configuration profiles and so on. And then I, I issue them to pupils. Uh, and they're labeled with the pupil's name. And that's essentially their iPad for the for the duration. Um, We don't have carts. um, They don't check them out of the library or anything like that. That iPad never gets taken away from them and given to somebody else. It's it's uniquely theirs for the entire duration of their education. Um, And that's kind of the essence of one-to-one, is that it's a more personal device that um, the pupil can kind of invest themselves in. And they can take it with them, and it has all of their data on it, uh, which we find is actually really useful because when you go from one subject to another, you can actually do much more easily projects that cross over two different subjects because the kids have got the data from one subject in the other subject and it's all accessible to them as well. So that's basically how a one-to-one program works and that's how we do it at the moment is that we kind of manage the configuration and the kids get to use it. Now, next year, we're going to change that a little bit and give the kids a lot more control, but for the first three years, that's how it's run.
0: So wh- when you were looking at setting this up, In its initial stage, were Apple involved at any point? Like, did they know what you were up to? Like, did you did you speak to like a corporate buyer or anything like that?
1: Not really, no, no. uh, We just did it ourselves, Um, uh, and that seems easy to say. And it was harder to do, to be honest with you. But um, if uh, the the extent to which we had involvement with Apple was basically um, that we were dealing with the business team at our local Apple store. Because we were quite naive in terms of how we how we managed like big leases of equipment and stuff because we'd never done that before. I mean, my first deployment at Cedar since that when I started working there was uh, we went and bought 12 iMacs off the shelf and put them in the lab. I mean, we did, we did a very kind of basic style. Um, <clears throat> so we dealt with the business team in Glasgow. Uh, we dealt with them previously for our laptop purchases. Um, and we just did a standard business lease. Uh, Because we're a private school, we have more flexibility to do that. We don't have to purchase necessarily through, like, local authority purchasing frameworks or anything like that. We can just kind of go ahead and buy things if we need to. Uh, But we dealt with the business team, and they dealt with us like a business. But we did not have any involvement from the sort of education teams inside Apple at the time.
0: I mean, considering that you kind of pioneered this program, do they, like, you mentioned that you you know do events and stuff. Do they, like, champion the program you created? Like, do, do Apple have their own, like, this is how you do this sort of style now?
1: Well, they do now, yeah, yeah. I mean, the model in, in the U.S. and the model outside the U.S. is a little different because in the U.S., Apple have... Um, they have solutions engineers who go and work with schools in the US. So you've probably heard of some of the really big iPad programs that are going off in the US, like you know McAllen um, School District in Texas with twenty five thousand seats, Los Angeles Unified School District just voted to do fifty thousand iPads, and so on. So Apple have teams that go into those big scenarios, but in Europe and in the UK, it's it's typically more done through resellers. So companies that will um, uh, they'll buy the kit off Apple and then they will work with the school and uh, design the deployment and and put in place all the other bits that need to go along. You know, maybe they need Wi-Fi or the school needs web filtering or something else. The reseller will kind of put together a package that includes iPads and training and things as well. But um, for us, we just bought Bear kit, and I just kind of made it up as I went along. Because, you know, even at the time Apple, I don't think I'd quite thought um, just how big a deal iPad was going to be in education. I mean. Uh, they get it now, for sure, I mean as, as you can see with the kind of stuff that's on their website now, but back then it was still kind of they were clearly not that sure how it was going to go uh so in some ways, I was kind of a, a bit ahead of some of those guys as well.
0: At what point did it change for Apple like in a big way you know was it before <clears throat> or after the textbook stuff with with ibooks
1: um that's a good really good question. I think it possibly before um you know, when, when you used to go to Apple events years ago, uh, or uh, in the early days of iPad, the, the story was kind of like, um, here, here's a customer story, and then here's um, an afternoon's program of doing things in iLife on the Mac, and then um, the idea is that like, you make it on the Mac and then you take it with you on the iPad sort of thing. That was the sort of story that was getting told around about 2010, and today that story is just wall-to-wall iPad and nobody talks about the Mac anymore. I mean, when I, when I do iPad-related events, whether with Apple or separately, um, when we talk about iBooks Author, for example, that's the one thing that deflates the room. It's when you, you go, oh, iBooks Author, da-da-da-da-da, oh, and you need to have a Mac for that. <sighs> Nobody wants to hear that story anymore. <laughs> um, and I'm not kidding. And It's, uh, uh, it's why I'm kind of <laughs> almost slightly like, reluctant to talk about iBooks Author at those events. It's because I know 90% of people in the room don't have Macs in their school and can't get Macs in their school um, and probably don't even have Macs at home, but they can sort of get iPads because they're not Macs. Um, uh, and wow. uh, um, iBooks author is like, oh, it's really, really cool, but you need a Mac, Blah, who cares? Um, so that's, it's interesting how that dynamic has changed, you know, uh, and it definitely has changed over the past few years.
0: Do you use uh, like? Do you use iBooks and iBooks Author in, in your school? Uh
1: well, well, people always ask me that in, in terms of like, do the kids make iBooks textbooks? And the answer to that is no, because iBooks Author doesn't run on the platform that our kids use, which is iOS. Right? Sure, sure. Um, uh, <clears throat> so the teachers have done a couple of things. I've done a couple of things with iBooks Author. Um, uh, and another colleague of mine, he actually does his report cards in iBooks Author. Nice. Uh, and what he does is he kind of gathers multimedia content, if you like, from the kids during the course wow. of the year, videos of them doing stuff in class or uh, like digital things they make on their iPad. And he kind of assembles it into a report card book and puts it on their iPad and sends it home with them.
0: So that's really um, awesome for parents.
1: It is, it is Parents adore that. Now, I can't tell you how much effort he goes to to make that for the kids. Uh, he spends a lot of time on it but the parents go absolutely crazy for it and they love it beyond anything that we've ever done with report cards before.
0: That must be a bit of a labour of love for him.
1: It is and I think it's also practice, I mean I think the thing, the the story about our three years with iPad is that we have done, because we're a small school, we have put in effort that would, at a level that does not scale up to a school of 1500 pupils, I mean you think about the kind of things I was doing in 2010 just to get apps onto these devices and the, and the like, three to four weeks I spent just like, syncing iPads in school at the start, um, you couldn't possibly scale that to 1,500. You can scale it now. There are nowadays tools that you can scale up to very, very large deployments, but there weren't back then. Mm. And I think with that and with Andrew's report cards and different things, like, we, we, can, we can go ahead sooner and learn these things and then, you know, next year Andrew's got a plan where he's going to actually have the kids build most of the report cards themselves on their own iPad and he'll add his bits to theirs rather than them adding a bit to his um, and things like that. So we 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 tend to do that. We tend to put in a lot of effort to learn and then we, uh, I guess, bring it back together. You know, this is always the way we've worked with these things is not to um, put it in the hands of, of like an IT guy and have him analyze it as much as we'll, we'll put it in the field in a restricted style and then we'll decide what the real problem is and then try and solve that problem rather than um, just decide from on high we're all going to use Office 365 or we're all going to use Google Docs. Um, uh, Because I think certainly in the past few years we haven't always understood the problem correctly the first time. Uh, And I think that's that keenness to experiment on a small scale with probably more effort than big schools could justify Helps us learn what the real problem is and then solve the real problem rather than solving the imaginary problem beforehand.
0: How much is um, iTunes U a part of your workflow?
1: This year it's massive, absolutely massive. We adopted it wholesale last August. Obviously, iTunes U came out um, a year ago in January at Apple's education event, along with the iBooks author textbooks. Um, and when we saw, you know, when that event went off, Everybody made a huge big deal out, out about the textbooks um, and, and particularly they made a really big deal about oh, textbooks are, are $14.99 now which is a big deal for America but that's a very America centric problem of the, the the textbook that cost $200. I mean textbooks in Scotland don't cost $200, they cost £8. Um, <laughs> it's
0: totally different.
1: <laughs> a little different, yeah. I mean There's all kinds of political reasons why that is the way it is in America, and none of them are very good reasons, I don't think, but um, everybody made a big deal about that, and you can understand why that's a big deal in America, because if you look at a lot of surveys about what people think that tablets are for in schools, if you ask teachers and if you ask students, you get a very varied set of responses. You know, going on the internet, making things, collaborating, making videos, blah, blah, blah. But if you ask parents and if you ask school administrators what they think tablets are for, the only thing they see is textbooks. Right Now, who in the world pays for tablet deployments in schools? Well, it's school administrators and it's parents. So having a robust textbook story is a great way in for a company like Apple. Because without a story to tell about textbooks, the people who sign the checks, basically, um, aren't hearing the story they need to hear. Now, sure. when you get the iPad in the classroom, I bet you, and we have actually found this as well, that the device is way too valuable in the classroom to just lock it up as something to read off. Yeah,
0: It's right? a waste. Yeah. So it's actually a waste of money at that point, I think.
1: It is, if, that, if that's all you do with it, it's a waste of money. I mean, we've done things where we've had like the electron, an electronic version of the book and the paper version, and in the class we use the paper version alongside the iPad, but it saves the kids carrying the paper version home if they can take it home electronically. Makes things sense. like that, you know. And that's fine. I mean, I'm not, I'm not down on any of this stuff, and I'm, I'm a big eBooks fan myself, but just to think of the iPad as a textbook replacement is, is way too... I don't want to say simplistic is the word, but it's, it's too... It's too small a vision. Really.
0: I mean, aside from some of the um like the the sort of the whole scale restrictions, you know, that I know that you do with Um, what's that program called? Configurator? Apple Configurator. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's my my best friend these days. (laughs) A couple
0: of great episodes, actually, of your podcast about Configurator, which will be in the show notes, and we'll talk about the the show itself in a bit. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering, do you use any any tools like assisted access or anything to lock iPads down at certain levels so kids can't just go to Safari and browse the web for an hour? Uh,
1: The question of locking iPads is a really interesting one. I mean... Not a couple of years ago, I went. I went to a school where they got thirty iPads in, and these were iPad ones. This was early days, iOS four point two or something. And what the the sysadmin guy there had done was he had jailbroken every iPad and installed some kind of hack from the Cydia store that basically let you set a password to be. Uh, the, it made the iPad require a password to open any app.
0: Well, that seems right. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: and and that's that's the kind of end game that you can get to if if you go down that path. I mean, you've got to remember, kids are different, right? There are some kids for whom um, free access to the iPad is the greatest thing that's ever happened to them, and it expands their horizons and it um, empowers them and it gives them. They produce things that you could not have imagined they would produce. And the other kids for whom that is just it's almost like a form of torture for them because they don't know, their their thought processes are not aligned with that kind of working or they just find it impossibly distracting. And, and these are just, I'm not even talking about kids who have additional support needs at this point. I'm just talking about kids who um, just think in different ways. Yeah. And they may be scatty thinkers or whatever and they want to jump about and they can't quite figure out what it is they need to do. And I think... Years a few years ago, I I used to be really against this whole idea, of of applying kind of external control to these devices, uh, and I don't know if I was partly against it because it wasn't possible, and I wanted to make the case for iPads, and, and so I argued against the whole idea, so that it would not be a mark against the iPad, but also just with experience, you know, with experience, three years' experience in the classroom is is so valuable; it's much more valuable than um oh, I I was skeptical and I waited until it was all perfect and now I'm going to deploy iPads because now they meet my requirements, which is is the way some people are approaching it. But I would always much rather get in at the early stages and get my hands dirty with it and understand the problems and then let the tools mature along with my understanding. Um, But as for locking iPads, well... For a start, we're still on iPad 1s in our school, so we don't have the capability at the moment. But we're currently experimenting with a tool called Casper Focus, which is a a feature of a a software system called um, the Casper Suite by Jamf, which is basically a mobile device management server. But it has this feature where Casper Focus is a teacher app. And what you do is you set up groups in your server, uh, and the teacher sees the group of iPads that they teach. And then they can, with a very friendly looking app, not a sysadmin looking app, but a friendly app on their iPad, they can say, okay, focus the whole class on this one app. And it will actually push remotely to all those devices um, a configuration profile that basically starts the guided access feature into one certain app. Um, And you can do that for the whole class or you can do it for an individual. And I think more and more you encounter kids for whom maybe just for you, for this hour of the day, I'm just going to focus you for a little bit because you need that bit of support. Um, other kids, you might never apply it. So I, I'm I'm less strident against it than I used to be. But I'm also not advocating, you know, demand the password for every possible app you might want to open.
0: Yeah, if the tools are there to add a little bit of focus for a short space of time, that's good. Because then it doesn't mean that you have to remove Facebook from the device and, and things like that. Because I guess the kids take them home, right?
1: The kids do take them home, yeah and well, not every kid at every level but I think what we're doing this year, uh, primary four and upwards um, are, are going home um, and when the devices go home that's kind of the responsibility of the parents, So the parents have their own networks at home and, and we make it clear to them that we control our network and you control your network and that's the sort of division of responsibility if you like um, but it, 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 we have a a fairly free access to a lot of these tools. You know, we find YouTube incredibly useful in the classroom, um, and, I, and I think you know. I asked my teachers one day. I said, "Look, if I had to block Wikipedia or YouTube, which one would you keep?" And they all said YouTube.
0: Wow,
1: which is surprising. me. That doesn't but, make
0: sense to me.
1: Yeah, but the 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 extent of materials on anything that you want that's on YouTube is is insane, and, and to be honest with you, Wikipedia is sometimes a bit is written a bit too fancy for school kids as well.
0: Yeah, of course. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, and I guess you don't have an option, but on YouTube you'd have an option, I guess, to Mm find something that's more child-focused or something that's more adult-focused. Yep. 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 Aside from, you know, like we're mentioning these, like the Casper Suite and stuff, Mm -hmm. do you feel that you have all of the tools that you need to, to manage this stuff, or do you feel that there are significant gaps still?
1: Well, there's there's a couple of things that that remain contentious in iOS deployment, and and, and number one, I would say is, is the the COPA law in the US, which states that no US company can collect personal information for a child under 13. Um, and what that means is basically that um, people teaching younger children than that can't use cloud services of any kind, right? So they can't have their kids on iCloud, the kids can't have an Apple ID to install apps from the store and so on and so on, despite the fact that I guarantee you at least a third of the kids much younger than that have already got Apple IDs or access to an Apple ID of somebody else. Um, So that's something that makes it slightly difficult to deploy apps um, because you can't always do it the way you would want to do it. Um, But the other problem is that um, in most cases, when you deploy an application, if, if you are deploying it to an individual and they redeem a code that you've bought through Apple's volume purchase system, if you redeem that code in their Apple ID, then you can never get that back. So, so schools and businesses, for that matter, are used to licensing 120 copies of Microsoft Office, let's say, and they own those 120 copies in perpetuity. And regardless of which computer it's on or who's using it, they own, they own a license. And when those kids leave, they don't take software licenses away with them. Whereas with the iOS system, um, in some deployment models, if you do that and the kid leaves the school, they take all the software you gave them away and you can't get it back. Um, so I've kind of started calling this problem for short, started calling it content reallocation um, because it's, it's content, it's not just apps. It's also books and it's uh, you know uh, movies or audiobooks or any of that kind of content that you might buy for school. Um, nobody at the moment has a way to um, fully give that to a student and get it back from the student at the end of the year right. Now, App, we, we, you mentioned Apple Configurator earlier on Configurator can do can do that for apps, so you, you put your volume purchase codes in Configurator Configurator will install that on 100 devices and then at the end of the year you can plug in those 100 devices and get your 100 licenses back but the complaint that people have with that is well that's a return to base situation where I have to plug in over USB 100 devices and that's the way it works at the moment so right making that wireless would be would be a, a great thing to do. Because you can do the deployment wirelessly if you're giving away the apps, but if you want to keep the apps, you can't do it wirelessly. So it's, it's right. I mean, honestly, it's niggly things like that. Whereas if I think about how I was doing it three years ago, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I can't believe you people are complaining about this. You know, <laughs> I'll dare I'm, you. <laughs> I, th- this year is my first opportunity to really redo our deployment model. And <clears throat> I, I feel like a kid at Christmas, Playing with the Casper Suite and, and Apple Configurator and all this stuff, because before, I mean, I was lashing it together with iTunes Home Sharing, multiple logins on one OS X server, five instances of iTunes running at one time in one machine. You know, and I'm like, honestly, you're complaining about NDM. You know, it's it, it's mind-boggling to me, and I understand. I understand people who have got two thousand pupils in their school, and there's no way that they could. Uh, sit and plug in a 2,000 And I mean, I, I totally get that. But to think just where we've come from in the past few years is incredible.
0: So you're about 50% of the way there then to, for it to be like a, a pretty perfect solution.
1: I would say so. I, I think that the, the the challenge of licensing um, content in a way that the school owns it but can, can fully make it somebody else's for a, a period of time, nobody's got that solution because Amazon don't have it. Where, you know, they've got... um uh, what is it called, Whisper sync for the Kindles. Yeah, um, They've got the same problem there as Apple have got, which is that they can't... You, I can push a book to, to a bunch of Kindles, but I can't get it back. I can do the same thing for books, I can't get it back. I can do the same thing for apps, I can't get it back unless I use Configurator. So in that sense, Apple is a little bit further ahead than everybody else, Sure. but not as much as people need it to be to really scale it up um, in that way.
0: So you mentioned that you're getting to redo things this year. Are you upgrading from the iPad 1?
1: We are, at last. What are you moving Thank to? Um, we're going to the, the, well I assume it's going to be the fourth generation iPad um, because I don't think I have no information I mean I, I know sure. nothing that nobody else knows but um, uh, there doesn't seem to be another iPad on the way before August let's put it that way because developers conference is the next thing that's going to happen in June and then you know, it'll probably be September at this rate. They said so we,
0: fall, right? That's what they said. So, yeah, September.
1: Fall, yeah. yeah which is too which, late. Which means the week after our school opens, of course, you know. <laughs> <laughs> which last year, that was when the volume purchase program came out. It was the week after no. the school opened. So um, no and that's why we haven't done volume purchase this year, even though we've had it in the UK for a while. Um, but, yeah, so it's going to be a fourth-generation iPad, uh, full-size, not the mini. Um, it's going to be Wi-Fi only. And this time we're going to go for 32 gigs as well, not 16.
0: Good good choice, I think, the 32. Yeah. Why yeah. Why not Mini?
1: Why not Mini? Um, well, partly is we're, we're sending a three-year release, right? And you never know how the future's going to go. Uh, and I'm sort of using the Mini as an insurance policy for what I'm going to do. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Because if you look at the, the two choices I've got, I've got an A5, an A5 processor-based iPad Mini, which is running like 700 Geekbench points or something or I've got an A6X based Retina iPad which is running 15 to 1700 Geekbench points depending on who counts it. Um, so I've got, I've got the option of a machine that's twice as fast as the other machine, right? Um, that matters to me a lot, right? Because the extent to which we use iPads compared to how most people use iPads, we really want the fastest thing possible. And not just because we do video all the time because we don't, but just if you're spending all your day on iOS, you want the fastest possible experience. So, so the processor performance is important to me. Um, but also, I think the more you want to do with it, the bigger a device you want. And I would honestly contemplate, if there was a bigger iPad, physically bigger iPad, I would think it would get in a physically bigger iPad for most kids in the school. Um, the iPad Mini, and I've always said this about 7-inch tablets, um... I said this with the Nexus 7 when I, I was testing that as well that a 7 inch tablet is awesome if you've also got a computer, but a 10 inch tablet can replace a computer.
0: That's a, that's a really good point, actually, because I mean, I, I, I don't think I would ever go to a full size iPad again personally, mm-hmm. um, just because for what I like to do with my iPad, the smaller size is much more convenient. Yeah. But if it was all like, if I could only have one device, Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd be able to live with it.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I I got the iPad Mini as soon as it came out, and I, and I fell in love with it because it was so awesome that you could you could do all your iPad stuff in this tiny little box, and, and it's still cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not down on the iPad Mini. It, it has its place in the lineup, absolutely. But what I found from like the October when they came out to I, I think maybe March of this year, I I, I put my iPad Mini, I uh, my full size iPad, I wiped it and put it in a drawer. And I just lived with my MacBook Air and my iPad mini. And what I found by the end of that five-month period was that um, more and more and more I was, I was saying to myself in my head, okay, I see that's there. I'll just wait till I get back to my Mac and I'll do that. And it was with email. It was with doing things on the web. It was with yeah. thing after thing after thing. I was thinking, oh, I'll just wait till I get back to my Mac to do that. Whereas previously with the, with the full-size iPad, I'd just been doing it all on the iPad and that was it. Um, so... When I kinda of came to that realization I, I, I basically went back to the full size iPad as my main iPad. I've still got the mini, but I've reconfigured it in a different way. So it's it's full of games and instapaper and flipboard and and those kind of Netflix and BBC iPlayer and that kind of thing, rather than my main kind of work iPad.
0: Makes sense. Um one last question before we go for the for the sponsor, but I do actually have more education stuff I wanna talk sure. about before we, we dive into the podcast. But um has being, you know, known as the, well, and accurately being the world's first sort of whole school one-to-one program, is has it, has it brought a lot of attention to Cedars?
1: Yeah, it has, it has, I mean we've, over the past few years we've hosted um, hundreds of people from all over the world, I mean, we're talking as far away as places like Japan, Wow! people have come to Scotland to to visit our school, <laughs> um, people from the US, all over Europe, Um Australia, New Zealand, Japan, uh, Philippines, Malaysia—places like that. Um, so yeah, it has brought a lot of attention to the school. Um, not uh, uh, to be honest with you, not all of it complimentary either. I mean, in the early days, a lot of people said it was a gimmick. A yeah. lot of people said it was that—that's okay for rich, fancy private schools. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The only people who said that were people who don't know what Grunick is like. I have to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, But, you know, there was a lot of that kind of thing, you know, and and there were people, you know, people in education and people in education technology who, you know, quickly got a backlash in, you know, not just against us, but more against the iPad, per se, rather than us. Um, You know, people were writing blog posts saying, you know, one iPad per child, no thank you, and all this kind of stuff. Um, So it was, but, you know, the overwhelming majority of people, and certainly everybody who's ever visited has been incredibly enthusiastic about the idea, and as a result of people having visited our school, um, there are now iPad programs in places like Denmark, uh, where many, many schools in Denmark have gone iPad as a result of conversations started at our school and taken back to schools in Denmark. And then from there, uh, projects have progressed to the point where they're they're really going for it down there. Also in Wales as well, you know, so we've got some friends down there um, who visited our school a couple of years ago Kind of got the bug for the whole idea, and they're pushing it on down in Wales now as well. And so it's really, really nice to see um, other schools kind of following along. I, I thought we might have seen more by now, but you know we are where we are, um, and you know that that's really gratifying. I never wanted it to be, and I never do want it to be um, iPad school is Cedar school. You know, I want it to be okay. Those guys were the first, but look at all the hundreds of other schools because how could you have something this great and want to keep it just for a hundred kids in your school? You know, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, so we, we do a lot and we do a lot for, for free as well. I should make clear. It's not that we, we try and make money off the back of this. Really. We've, we've done a couple of charged events, but mostly um, the visits that we host to our school are free. Um, certainly free for teachers and educators of any kind. Um, and we just want to share that knowledge as much as we can.
0: Sounds great. Yeah. Well, I'll take a, take a very quick break. So we can thank um, our sponsor for this episode. Of course, it's the fine folks over at squarespace.com who give you absolutely everything you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace provide you with all of the tools that it takes to build an amazing, beautiful blog portfolio business site or even an online store they are a fully hosted completely managed environment that allows you to do that it doesn't matter how experienced you are when it comes to putting things online you can build something amazing in minutes you don't have to worry about hosting your site worrying about scaling if you get a lot of traffic even integrating with other services like twitter facebook Flickr, instagram and many many more because all of this is built right in Additionally, Squarespace have beautiful themes. Um, They're really, really fantastic to look at and they feature responsive web design. So no matter what devices your your visitors come to your website, they're going to see a fantastically formatted web page because it's going to be made to look fantastic on any device. They have built-in analytics, real-time statistics that allow you to see all the visitors and all of the information of people coming to your website, so you can track that. You know, that, I guess that is important to a lot of people. And Squarespace build that right in, so you know, it's just another thing that you don't have to look elsewhere. You don't need to look into analytics providers from you know from other services, good and bad, because it's all built into Squarespace. They have fantastic 24-7 customer support and live online workshops as well that can help walk you through any issues that you may have and their support will respond to your question in minutes in most cases, which is absolutely fantastic. They have Squarespace Commerce too, which allows you to add a fully integrated store to your site so you can start accepting payments for physical and digital goods if that is your bag and you can manage all of your inventory and order processing right within your Squarespace site. It really is an all-in-one platform for building fantastic websites. There's no credit card required to try out Squarespace. I want you to go and find out more and sign up for a free trial. To do this, go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels at 70 DEC ls. If you enjoy Command Space, go there and check them out. Squarespace plans start at $10 a month for their standard plan and $20 a month for their unlimited plan. Sign up for one year, you'll get 20% off that price. Sign up for two, and you'll get 25% off. And don't forget to use the code 70 Decibels 5 at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your first order, on top of any other discounts you may get too. So go to squarespace.com. They'll give you everything you need to make an amazing website. So recently, Fraser... Uh, Google announced um, the Google Play for Education, mm-hmm. um, and and I just wonder what you think about that. I mean, they, 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 I don't know how much information you have at the moment. It was just announced at I O, but I'm sure you've looked into it. Um, are they have they are they doing anything different or better to Apple? Or?
1: Well, uh, I mean, all the information I have is basically what was announced in the I O keynote. I I haven't seen any additional information beyond that. Um. To me, what they're doing with that looks a bit like what Amazon do with WhisperSync, which is basically that you can um, acquire and push apps to Android devices. Now, there is, I understand that there is some integration with Google Apps, for Education. So uh, Google Apps for Education has some device management features in there um, and if, if those are registered then that's integrated and you can push it together. Now in the Apple world the way you would do that is you would buy the app codes from Apple then you would put it in your third party mobile device management server and that way you would push the app codes out to the kids. So basically what Play does for education as far as I can tell is it eliminates the, the process of downloading a spreadsheet from one website and uploading it to another. Right? Um, because absent that, as far as I can tell in my limited understanding, I have the other parts of that in the iOS world. So, I mean, it's good that, you know, they're putting together a storefront for education, but I guess my question is, and this is something that I think uh, most schools are not doing, the sort of model they were talking about was the idea that a teacher would somehow go on the store and spend the school's money and push something to their kids' devices. Right. I don't know of many schools where the purchasing process is that fluid. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: here's your hundred dollars for the week. Go crazy. Yeah, yeah.
1: Now, maybe maybe if there's a kind of voucher based method of doing it, um, then okay, here t- teacher, here's your your fifty bucks. You know, but I think even in secondary schools, not, I'm thinking more secondary schools, there's got to be sort of a departmental strategy. Like a science department might have twelve teachers in a, in a big school or whatever for the different sciences. Is every, every one of 12 teachers going to get to choose and push out different apps? Um, the way we do it in our school is is that we um, all the requests for apps are, are funneled through the IT department, which is me uh, and me alone. Um, but the reason we do that is because quite often what you end up with is uh, one teacher wants app A, let's say, and te- teacher B wants app C, and... Those apps do the similar thing. Maybe they're like two different kinds of dictionary or two different kinds of calculator or two different periodic table apps or something like that. Um, And for the sake of the students who might go across different departments or different um, classes, uh, having them not have to have two or three different things that do the same thing... simplifies their experience as well. So there's a bit of kind of deduplication that I think has to happen in scenarios like that. Because you can get yourself into chaos. And the second thing is that the thing people never think about in education deployments is what happens next year. Right? All of the all of these scenarios always people always think, well, let's do it this way this year and that'll be great. And that's fine. But then those devices have to go to either go to new people next year So where do those apps live? Who owns those apps? I don't know. Um, These kids actually go on to the next year with a bunch of apps already in their account. So do they have them by the time they get to next year? You know, it's all these kind of life cycle things that people like me with a kind of sysadmin background think hard about that an individual teacher probably wouldn't even think they had to think about. So I'm not sure I'd buy the whole story of a teacher goes to an app store and pushes things to their kids because I'm pretty sure purchasing processes are going to be a little more controlled than that
0: sure yeah that makes sense
1: but i mean i'm I'm not down on google for 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 doing things for education i mean i mean nobody would love it more than me if apple and google just went head to head for the next two years to see who could be the best thing for education i mean that would be awesome
0: i mean it seems like that's a a possibility i mean it certainly
1: is i mean you look at uh you look at big school districts in the U.S. putting down twenty-five and 50,000 units. I mean, everybody wants a piece of that.
0: And also, then you've got kids from a very young age using your product. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. that's a big thing for these companies, right? They're,
1: yeah, but only evil Apple care about that.
0: <laughs> Apple <laughs> right. are trying to lock
1: people in. Google are just trying to give people stuff for free because they're nice.
0: <laughs> well, we all know that, right? <laughs> what do you see as the future of computing in the classroom?
1: Well, if you wind back the common experience of computers 10 years, it's probably that, if you know what I mean. Like, in the sense that education lags the way that we work outside of education by about 20 years. Um, I mean, if you think about it, when, when was the last year that you had to share a computer with someone else? And for me, it was 1995. That was the last year that computers were so scarce in my experience that I had to share them with somebody else. And here we are in 2013, 2014, 2015 deployment cycle, finally talking about maybe kids in school can get one each. (laughs) So if you think about it in that sense, I I think the future of computers in education is already mapped out because it's what we have done for 20 years. Um, I I, I don't see in any sense um, organizational, political, financial structures changing in such a way that education will start to move ahead of where society is as a whole with technology. I don't see that happening, except in very niche places like my school, I guess. Um, small places with control, not money, but control, over what it is they do um, may start to move ahead more quickly. But in the broad average of education across the world, I don't see it being, be suddenly becoming radical rather than conservative like it usually is.
0: What does something like Google Glass say to you?
1: Now that's a question. I, mean, I had a couple of conversations with teachers about this, and and at some level, um, like there's a, there's a horrendous um, child protection question in all of that, which oh, is yeah. you know, teachers walking around taking videos and pictures of pupils. You know that's and as a male teacher, that is something that I am particularly concerned about. Um, but at the same time. Um, it depends where you're, if you're asking me whether teachers wearing it or pupils wearing it. I mean, the people are already concerned in classrooms about pupils taking videos and pictures of teachers and putting them online. I mean, that's that's a ship that's already sailed, and we don't need Google Glass to make that a thing that people are concerned about in the classroom. Sure. Um, from my point of view, I would like to think that I never do anything in the classroom that I would be ashamed for other people to see. But I know that that's not true in, in every situation. And I, I know that I teach in a fairly privileged position where I don't have major discipline problems and I don't have to deal with extreme situations that other teachers do have to deal with. Um, so that's maybe the voice of privilege speaking a little bit there. Um, but I think uh, some teachers have, I've talked to about it, they've said, well, I would be very reassured to be able to show my side of a story as well. So there's that aspect too as well. It's not, all, it's not all creepy and bad.
0: Do you think there are learning opportunities? Like imagine, I don't know, um, you could teach a class all over the world by then being able to see things from your point of view, maybe.
1: Well, I think there's, there's certainly um, uh, training opportunities through something like Google Glass. I mean, if you imagine, I'm thinking more at university level, for example. If you were, um, say you're a surgeon. And you, you want to make a training video about how to do an operation, well you can't hold a video camera, and it's, and it's awkward to yeah. bring a video camera team into your into your operating room to uh, to do that.
0: And they'd be but, in the way, right? You know?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, if it's a very intricate thing, then you know any of these sort of point of view videos that you might want to make, or uh, you know, there's a lot of potentially good things you could do with that for sure, for sure. Um, whether that's something that you would necessarily teach through. I'm not so sure, but possibly. I mean, I, th- I think the thing, the thing I, I'm unhappy about with Google Glass is that the sort of geekarati are so down on it already. You know, they're they're doing a segue to it rather than a Tesla, and I think people, I would like people to keep their hands off the idea a little bit longer till we figure it out. You know, yeah. um, and I think there's going to be bad in it, but I think there's also going to be a lot of good in it as well. And I guess. Almost like the Segway, you can sort of see it heading for vertical markets, where for certain specialised applications it will be an absolute um, showstopper. You know, it will be amazing. Whereas for the broad swath of the public, maybe not. Maybe the social aspects will outweigh, and maybe the legal aspects as well. Just like the Segway, will outweigh the actual practicalities of it.
0: Let's talk about your your podcast, Out of School. Yeah. What What's the show about? I guess people could probably guess, but tell us what Out of School is about.
1: Well, Out of School is the show that I do with my pal Bradley Chambers, who does a similar job to me. He doesn't teach. Um, he's, a, he's a director of IT, at a, a private school in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, and, and basically what we do is we go on Skype every week and we just sort of talk about what we've done recently, um, what we've been thinking about, what we've been concerned about, what we think people need to know about vis-a-vis, handling computers in schools and there's a very very strong mac in a, and particularly ios bent to the show i mean <laughs> sometimes i think <laughs> deploying ios in schools is like the only thing i know anything about anymore <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it's kind of like uh, i'm sort of an ios deployment machine and i don't have any other skills but um i guess that's not true um so we we talk and and what we we do is we it's not just like oh here's this cool thing I found this week as much as it's um here's a thing you have to be concerned about at some level or you may be interested to know about so you mentioned earlier we just did a couple of shows on Apple Configurator which uh, is is a piece of software that um, is wonderful and sort of awful at the same time and I don't mean that in the nastiest possible sense but it's just incredibly difficult to get the philosophy behind it right, and I think I, I guess in the show, the way I kind of look at it is that um, Bradley's a very kind of practical guy, he's a real hands-on, in the trenches um, tech support, IT director kind of guy and I I guess I'm more of a kind of theoretician if you like and that sounds incredibly pompous even just coming out of my mouth right now and I, and I hate myself for just having said that, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we kind of complement each other because the way we did the configurator show, for example, was that I sort of kicked off and said, look, understand the idea here. And then Bradley would take people through the the actual practicalities of working that out in terms of what you do in, in the classroom or in the lab. Um, and I guess the way I approach the show is I try and approach it like I approach my blog, which is um, to try and, and write things that will have enduring value rather than just reacting to this week's news. I mean, we we do a little chit-chat about news the first five minutes of the show or whatever, but then we we try to make shows that are reference material for people doing the same job
0: as us. That's incredibly valuable for a show like yours, I believe, because what you hope the listener will get out of it is that they can go back from episode one, and I have a couple of shows where I, where I try to do this, with this being one of them, actually, um, where I, I, I don't try, as you say, to... I mean obviously news things pop up like I just asked you about Google IO for example mm-hmm. but the main thing about this show is about creating something that that lasts the test of time you know it stands against it and that's even more so for a show like yours because there is actual value rather than just entertainment that people can can get out of the show if if they are in the type of industry that, that you
1: guys Yeah are. I mean I mean I I, I guess I'm not the funniest guy in the world and I, I don't I don't consider my show to be entertaining really and I don't try to make it entertaining or funny or, or you know, I'm not somebody once called me the Maryland man of educational technology, but I, I don't know if I, I qualify for that level of it, Um but I, I think I like to imagine people making notes as they listen to the show. And I think if I can imagine people doing that for a show, then I think I've done a good show.
0: I think the thing that you guys do a great job of doing is is really breaking things down and making it easy. And, and saying about like the entertainment value, I am not anywhere near um, a school IT administrator. And I never will be. I, I can pretty much say that the likelihood of that happening is very, very slim. I
1: but, would advise against it.
0: <laughs> but I listen to the show and I enjoy the show. Thank you. So, because it is interesting, because... As nerds we find things interesting that are very strange. And sometimes just listening to you guys talking through um the things that you're doing, you know, and and like I found the Apple configurator shows like fascinating. I don't really know why. But I did interesting and I think it must be the way that you guys talk about the stuff that you do and you have a great passion for it and you, you're very enthused about it but you make it very simple to understand and it's interesting to hear the problem solving that you go through and how technology is helping you and stuff like that so it's a it's a great show I think that stands up against necessarily just being about you know if you if you're not in IT there's no point you listening
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we do, because iOS in in education is not, it's getting big, but it's nowhere near the scale of even the Mac in education, never mind Windows. um, We we try not to assume too much prior knowledge. So I think that makes the show accessible. But also, I mean, I teach kids every every week of the school year. So I am pretty experienced at breaking down things that can be quite complicated into much more understandable parts um and i try and kind of bring that teacher mentality to the show as well and 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 try to pace it in that way um i don't always get it right but i, I think sometimes i do and i think the configurator shows I, I, we did a lot of work on the configurator shows because configurator is so complex that i mean you should see the short line it's like you know six pages long or something yeah. uh, because there's so much to talk about uh, and it's such a kind of abstract program and I think that's why some people actually struggle with configurator when they come to it is because they think that oh there, there's, there's buttons to twiddle and I can understand it by just looking at the button labels when in fact you actually have to go away and read all the help documentation and really understand what the apps for, think about the theory of it and then get the practice right after that
0: Saying about the pacing I think that's you've hit the nail on the head for something that I couldn't quite put my, think, my finger on, which the way that you pace the show, the way that the show is paced and the way that things are broken down comes from your teaching background. So that, that's, I've realised that now.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I guess it, when you're a teacher, it's almost subconscious that you're doing that. Um, and because in, podcasting is strange because like trying to teach people things over podcasting is weird because you you don't know who's listening. And you don't understand the abilities or, or the um, the par- prior experience of the people who listen to the show. So you try and hit somewhere in the middle between you know. And now you plug in the cable, and then you'll see a thing on the screen. So you're not you're not reporting everything that happens, but you're trying to you're trying to go for the bigger picture idea, which is I guess what we do in teaching all the time. You know, we're, we're not just trying to teach them to close the window by pressing the X as much as we're we're trying to teach them that there are windows and you can close them.
0: Mrs. Spears, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It's been a pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I've,
0: I've really enjoyed this episode and, and I, I think that other people will do. I think the listeners will have loved it. Why don't you tell everybody how they can keep in touch with you?
1: Okay, so the, the, the blog that I've referred to a couple of times is uh, spears.org. And that's S-P-E-I-R-S.org. There is some speculation that that's actually a spelling mistake five generations back on one of our ancestors' birth certificate, that it's not S-P-I-E or everyone else, but what can I say? I <laughs> um, am also Fraser Spears on Twitter. Um, I'm on net as FS, but I am not very active and I feel kind of bad about that, but I don't know why. Um, and I'm not on Google+. Plus. <laughs> well, I, I, sort of, <laughs> I sort of am, but I, I am... Well, everything's on Google Plus by default, right? Yeah, pretty um, much. What can I say? Yep. Awesome. So that's where I am.
0: And I am iMike, um, I-M-Y-K-E, on all of the social networking places that you would care to visit. Next week's guest, uh, we, I'm hoping to be joined by Serenity Caldwell, and we'll be talking, you know, there may be some overlap in shows unintentionally. We're going to be talking about books, ebooks and textbooks and iBooks mm-hmm. Author. So more, more of the same. So I'm really looking forward to talking to Serenity. It should be a great show. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Command Space. If you want to find links to what we've discussed today, you can go to 5by5.tv forward slash S P A C E command space slash 44. Thank you very much to Mr. Fraser Spears for joining me. And thank you all for listening again. And I'll be back next week. Bye-bye.